I was meeting with my uh, growth group last weekend, and one of the comments that came out was that this series is really hard for guys. Uh, maybe I'm the only one who, who felt that way. <laughs> this, the thing with guys is maybe, maybe this applies to women too. We acknowledge that there's things we can improve on, but we want to be the ones who pick what we improve on right? Like, we want to say, okay, this is something I need to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. Like, we don't like directions. We don't like people telling us. We don't like to ask for, you know, how to get there. Just let me figure this thing out. Women, keep your arms in, because you do this too, only in a different way, and I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but there's this part of us that's like, I, I, I don't like to be reconditioned. I don't like to be told what to do. But that's what this series is really all about. We're following Jesus and his apostle Peter, his friend Peter, in the last week of Jesus' life up to his crucifixion. And with this event coming, Jesus knows there's some things about Peter that need to be adjusted. There's some reconditioning that Peter needs. And it's going to be a little painful, but this is what's necessary. So guys, just in this series, and, and women, if this applies to you too, if you hear some stuff and it's kind of like, I guess, but I don't want to acknowledge it, just hold on to it for a couple weeks until you can pre pretend it's your idea to do these things, and then you can put them into practice and you'll be the hero. So uh, we're helping you out with that. The thing about today is the thing that Jesus is going to recondition in Peter is one of the most painful reconditionings that Peter ever received. In fact, by the end of this, Peter is absolutely broken because Peter wasn't reconditioned the way he needed to be. Now, to, to introduce it, to really help you dive into what it was that Peter messed up with, I just have to tell you kind of the way I am. Now, a lot of times I can sit down with somebody and they can tell me this big, long story about how something happened, and I can nod my head and smile and, you know, kind of dance with them a little bit, and like tell them how I'm listening to them and I care and all that stuff. I do care. But sometimes, especially in the context of when I'm talking to women, specifically the one I'm married to, when she's telling me a story, it's like there's this one detail that she just barely hints at and she goes on to the other details, but I can't listen to anything else until I have this one thing figured out. Here's a quick example. So my wife, Amy, she's excellent with, with money. She does coupons. She saves. I mean, she's very responsible, so I trust her completely with that stuff. Every once in a while, however, she'll go shopping, and she'll go to a store, a clothes store, and she'll tell me in the morning, hey, I'm going to the store. I'm like, great, go have fun. I trust you. Go get whatever you need. And then she'll come home, and I'll come home in the evening, and she'll say, hey, I went to the store, and I bought some stuff. And I'm like, uh-huh. And she says, well, this is everything I bought. She goes and she shows me the shirts, shows me what color they are, she shows me the pants and the shoes, she tells me what seasons she can wear these things in, and all these other details. She tells me how the, the person at the checkout lane was, how friendly or unfriendly they were, and her experience with the boy as who was with her, Aaron, and how he was misbehaving and crazy. You know, she tells me all these things. But the thing is, I'm not listening to anything at that point because there's one detail that's just stuck in my mind that I need to know. It's where she told me, hey, I went out and bought some things. The only thing I want to know at that point is, how much did you spend? 
That's all I want to know. That's all I need to know. But instead, as she goes through all these details, I'm like, okay, that's probably $10. That's probably $15. And I'm trying to think of all these things. I'm not really listening to her. It's like everything is faded out. All I'm thinking about is, well, how much did you spend? And women, you have this too in a little different way. Like guys, we can just get stuck on one idea. And we're kind of known for that. We like to figure things out. But women get stuck on ideas too. Like for women... It's this thing where you're talking to somebody else, most often another woman, and she seems to somewhat imply something negative about you. Now, keep track of that. She seems to somehow imply something negative about you or someone that you love. And at that moment, you're like, oh, what do you mean about that? Who is she to be thinking this? Or what does she really think about me? And you're kind of stuck on that one detail. Because for men and women, and by the way, for women, this even goes for things you say. Like, like you're like, oh, I hope she didn't think that I implied that something was, you know, and you kind of get stuck on this one thing for days and days and days. So it's like some words, some ideas are just covered in glue. And as soon as we hear them, nothing else can get through. And I, I thought of a little Dr. Seuss rhyme to help us through this. So if you're taking notes, fill in number one says this. Some ideas can stick like glue and hinder truth from getting through. It's got a little ring to it. I, I know this is weird. It's, just, it's meant to kind of get your attention a little bit. Some things, when we hear them, we're just stuck on them. Now, here's the thing. This happened to Peter, and the results were disastrous. Jesus was ta- trying to talk to him, to have a discussion, but there was this, this big part that was just blurred out for Peter. He didn't even hear it because he was focused on one thing. Now, here's what I want for you today, that when you leave, you can see what that one thing is for you. And maybe this will impact your relationships. What we're doing today is mostly just about you and God. There's stuff that you need to hear, but there's this thing that gets in the way. Now, we're going to look at this account from Peter. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's Supper on, on Thursday of Holy Week and how Jesus was in that upper room and this was part eight of starting point at the table. We're actually looking at the section right after that. And the context is set with verse 26 in Mark chapter 14 here. So when they, the disciples and Jesus, were eating this Passover meal, they closed the meal with some hymns, some songs. Quite often they'd sing some um, psalms at the end of the meal. And when they had done that, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you know your Bible history, what's going to happen at the Mount of Olives that night? You see, Judas had already gone off. Judas is talking to these chief priests, these Jews, and he's saying, hey guys, this is where Jesus is going to be tonight. Now, Jesus is going out to that Mount of Olives, and that's where Jesus will be arrested. So picture it. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's going to go just outside Jerusalem to this, this little uh, mountain, this big hill. And on the way there, he's talking to his disciples, and he's thinking, okay, this is about to happen. What do I need to tell them? How do I prepare them for the crucifixion and what will happen afterwards? And, and as he thinks about it, Jesus has this heart-to-heart conversation with his disciples, and it starts out like this. You will all fall away. And this isn't a 
sometimes our PowerPoint messes up. This isn't a mess up with our PowerPoint because it seems that after Jesus said that one phrase, this phrase was just soaked in glue and it stuck in Peter's ear because he couldn't hear anything after that phrase. Like the rest of what Jesus said here is important and we're going to look at it in a moment, but Peter didn't hear any of it because he was thinking about this. Jesus, what do you mean everyone's going to fall away? And I can kind of relate to him because... (laughs) You know, whenever somebody's like up on a stage talking to me in a chair and they make a blanket application for everybody in the room, like you will all do this or you're all guilty of this, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of that. I'm like, what do you mean everybody? There's got to be some variations, some exceptions. So Peter's not even listening to what's going on here. He's thinking about what he's going to say to defend himself. And so when, he, when he's thinking about this, he completely misses out what Jesus says. We're just going to skip over that for now. Um, what Peter responds in verse 29 is this. He says, Jesus, even if all fall away, I never will. Not me. I'm different. Now you've got two options for Peter. Is he being brave and heroic or is he being stupid? I can say stupid in this service because my kids aren't in here. Sorry if yours are. <laughs> Is he being brave or is he being a fool? Which one is it? And you might think, well, he's just trying to cheer Jesus up because Jesus is kind of down in the dumps. He's depressed. And Peter's like, come on, Jesus, we'll never leave you. Come on, come on, come on. And you might think that if you hadn't read the section that Jesus just said that Peter missed. Peter's being a fool. He's being naive. You see, he didn't get the whole story of what Jesus said. And so he's just focused on one thing, which was Peter. And there's some real danger in this. Like if you look back at Peter and what's about to happen and you say, well, Peter was just an idiot. He was a fool. I can't believe he did that. I would never do that. Or you look at anyone in the Bible or you look at people in your own life who mess up, who fall, who, who, who you know, do something really bad and you say, boy, they were foolish. I would never do that. You see, that's a red flag. That is a huge red flag. Everyone has the capability to fall, as we're about to see. So how does Jesus react to this? Peter's just trying to help. Peter's just trying to build Jesus up. You know, Would Jesus say, well, thank you, Peter, that's kind of you. Let's move on. No, Jesus gets pretty heated here. He says, I tell you the truth, and these are just directed towards Peter. These words are just for Peter. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, Today, Jesus pauses. You know what? Actually, that's too broad. Tonight. No, that's still too broad. Before the rooster crows two times, Peter. Before the rooster can squawk two times, you're going to squawk three times. And you're going to disown me three times. And you might think the, the disciples would view this as some crazy, you know, prediction. Or how could he predict with such detail what's going on? Get this, get this. So 24 hours before this, the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, where would you like to celebrate the Passover meal with us? And Jesus says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go into the city. You're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water in a certain way. You're going to follow him to a certain house, and you're going to say a certain thing to the person who's in that house, and he's going to show you a room where you can prepare this meal. And they, they had to be thinking, how can he predict all these things? But it happened. He told that to two of his disciples, and guess who one of them was? 
Peter. Just the day before, Peter had seen Jesus predict with accurate detail what was about to happen, and now Jesus is doing it again. Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Now, if you're Peter in this moment, you have to be taking this seriously. Peter doubles down on what he's been saying, though. Verse 31, Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will not Never, I will never disown you. And there's a play on words. The die with is actually one word in the Greek, and the dis, disown is actually one word. Peter's saying, I'd rather die with than disown from. I'd rather die with you than break the promise that I'm going to make right now. And all the other disciples were listening, and they're like, yeah, us too. Even if everyone leaves you, Jesus, I never will. We'll never, ever leave you. Even if we have to die with you, come on, we're there for you. And they rally around him. Now, here's the thing with Peter, though. Jesus has been saying something very clearly. He said, you will fall away. He said, no, I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. Peter, this is going to happen. What's Peter hearing, though? He's not hearing what Jesus wants to tell him because that's what pride does to your heart. If you're taking notes, fill in two. Pride refuses to hear what Jesus needs to say, and this happens to all of us all the time. I'll pick on the guys again. I can pick on the guys. I'm a guy. Especially like if someone comes up to you guys and someone says, hey, I'm concerned about what you're doing. It could be something light like, man, you're sure on your phone a lot. And you'd be like, it's fine, I can handle it. You know, I can quit anytime I want. <laughs> I just don't want to. Or maybe it's something more serious where I got a real concern about you. What's the first reaction your heart always has? What they're saying can't be true, right? Can't be true. You see, Peter had this pride building up in his heart, and it resulted in him not listening to what Jesus needed to tell him. There was an important gap in information that was completely blurred out from Peter's, Peter's uh, remembrance of this event. He didn't even acknowledge it, and that led to catastrophic failure. So here's how things played out for Peter. He said, I'm going to stay with you. I'll never leave you. And so as a result, Peter did something that was probably not the best idea. When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed. Like all the other disciples kind of scattered, they kept their distance, Peter Being Peter, he followed Jesus, and he got as close as he could be while Jesus was on trial. Peter was out in the courtyard where Jesus was being on trial. That was as close as he could get, and he was just kind of hanging out to see what would happen. And it was late at night. They had just had the Passover meal with those four cups of wine. If you were here two weeks ago, you get that. And so this was late at night. Peter's tired. There's lots of stress, and he's just waiting by this fire while it's dark to see what's going to happen. And this servant girl walks up to him. She says, hey, you look familiar. Are you one of Jesus' disciples? A servant girl. Peter said, I don't know who you're talking about. Goes off with another, uh, in another area. Servant girl comes up to him again. I'm sure that you're one of his disciples. Peter says, what in the world? 
I don't know who you're talking about. He moves to a different, different place. And then he's in a group of guys, apparently, and they're talking, and they're like, hey, wait a minute, your accent, maybe, I guess, like, they had a Brooklyn-type accent back then where you could just tell. They're like, hey, your accent, you're a Galilean. We know you must be with this guy who's on trial. And Peter, in that moment, he says, I swear to God, I don't know him. And the rooster crowed the second time. And the result for Peter, it's a really sad last statement at the end of that section in Mark 14. It just says that Peter broke down and he wept. And I don't want that to happen to you. For Peter, it was a servant girl. Maybe not even a teenager yet. A servant girl. And yet his pride wouldn't allow him to say, yes, I know the man. A servant girl. Peter. What you have to ask yourself is, what is it for you? And here's where I could go through a big, long list of things. I could just get a shotgun out and say, here, some, one of these will stick. You know, is it this, just an image on a screen that's like, oh, it kind of, you know, kind of leads you down a bad road? Is, is it this gossipness? Is it greed? Whatever. You know, I could list all sorts of things, but the danger in that is you're going to hear this big list of things that people could get mixed up with, and you're going to say, wow, I'm glad I'm not like them. At least I only have this one thing. But here's the thing. For Peter, all it took was a servant girl to make him deny his Savior three times. Now, the thing that really pushed him over the edge was pride, and it's the same thing with you and with me. You know, so, so this pride, it tells us, well, I can handle this. I can take this. I can do this sin just one time. It's not going to affect me. It's okay. I'm strong enough for this. Yeah, God kind of warned me about sin. I don't care. I can handle this. I can turn out a better person if I just do what I want to do. It's this pride in us that completely blocks out what we need to hear and it can lead to us falling. Now, one other, one other question, and then, then we'll finish off the section. What caused Jesus to fall? You ever think about that? What caused him to fall? It's kind of a trick question because Jesus never did fall. Like, it tells us he was tempted by the devil in the desert, you know, for, for so many days. He didn't fall once. You know, even in the end, Jesus never fell. What got him was that he was struck down. That's what happened to him. He was struck down not because he was proud, but he was struck down because he was humble. And he had in mind you, who had fallen down. Now, all these things were things that Jesus needed to communicate to Peter because Peter was about to be scattered. He was about to fall to the ground. And Jesus, as he's leaving Jerusalem, going up to the Mount of Olives, he's saying, what, what is it that Peter needs to know even when he falls? And we go back to this section here after we get this next fill-in, I think. Do we have another fill-in? Yeah, we do. Peter was not too big to fall. And the kicker is this, neither are you. So as we go back to Jesus, talking with his disciples, when they left that upper room in Jerusalem, they're going up to the Mount of Olives. We're going to take away the blurriness here and see what it is that Jesus needs to tell those who are going to fall. So we're going to move away. That was pretty cool. So Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away. This is where Peter stopped, but we need to move on. You're going to fall away 
because you need to pay attention? No. Because you're weak? No. You're going to fall away because it's been written. That alone should have made Peter stop and say, okay, so if the scripture says this is what's going to happen, we should probably pay attention. But he didn't hear this part. He was focused on himself. He was focused on pride. Jesus said, you're going to fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and when the shepherd is struck down, the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus, you're saying that this isn't necessarily a me thing. You're saying that this has more to do with you. Yeah. Whenever the shepherd is taken away, the sheep will be scattered. Jesus said this is an inevitable truth. When your pride takes you away from me, you will be scattered. You will fall. But to people who have fallen and are scattered, Jesus follows up with this truth. He says, after, let's go back. After I have risen, I We'll go ahead of you. We're going to meet up again. You're going to fall down. You're going to disown me three times. But here's the thing, Peter. I will come back. I will not be defeated. And we will be together. And here's what this means to you and to me. Pride can lead you down some pretty foolish roads in life where you say, I've got this. I'm good. I'm strong enough. Yeah, God warns me, but you know what? I can handle it. And it's in those moments you're going to break down and weep at what happens. But that's not where Jesus leaves you. He came back to life to gather together those who had fallen down. He was risen up to lift up those who were fallen. And so as we finish up this, this talk here today, there's, there's the question, well, how do we get out of this mindset, then we're just stuck on this one idea. God has so much to teach us. How do we get unstuck from this pride that can be in our minds? Uh, the last fill-in here gets us going down that route. Rather than just starting with, okay, here's what I need to do, consider God's view first. Whenever God says, this is, this is a danger, this is a weakness, this is something you need to watch out for, instead of saying, okay, I know what I'll do, I got this, Instead, we need to stop, and this is, this is important. This is the most important thing. We just need to listen. And pay attention to the sections that seem to blur out for you that you're like, oh, I need to do this. I need to focus on this. Pay attention when your pride wants to blur things out because that's most often where you see God come through the strongest. And a quick practical application for you. So let's say that you're reading your Bible every morning, every evening, um, and you, you open it up. Let's say it's just once a week. Let's say you're reading your Bible, and before you even open it, you say, okay, God, here's what I got going on. This is the Peter way to do it, by the way. This is what I've got going on. I got this stress in my life here, so if you can give me some patience, that'd be great. Um, I'd like to take better care of my body, so if you can give me some self-control, that'd be an added bonus. And, oh yeah, throw in some love for the wife and kids, that'll be good too. So you're like, okay, God, that's what I need, that's what I'm going to do, now give it to me. Now it's, it's good to acknowledge your weaknesses and to ask God to fill them with his strength, but 
You see what your pride wants to do? It makes it all about what you do rather than seeing things from a God's view. How about instead of doing that, you say this. You say, God, these are the things on my heart. This is what's on my mind. I know these are my weaknesses, but God, get rid of me right now. Show me the full picture. Just let me listen to what you do in my life and what you've done for me. When you do that, things start to be reconditioned. Things start to get traction. Things start to change in your life for the better. Because God says, you know what? If, if you really want this patience thing you're talking about, you're going to need goodness and faithfulness to build it up. I can give you that, but only if you're open to it. If you really want this love that you have, that you want for your, your family, whatever, if you really want that kind of love, you're going to need patience, you're going to need kindness, you're going to need all these other things too, and I can give those to you, but only if you're willing to listen and learn and follow me. Now, what if we could all do that? What if we could just get rid of pride once and for all and say, you know what, it's not about what I'm going to do. It's all about what God's view is. I want to see things from his perspective. Here's what will happen. You will see God predicting your downfalls. You'll see him focusing on these temptations that have the power to lure you away. And he's going to show you what it looks like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But in those moments, you will know that you are not alone in them that he has blazed a trail through them and he walks with you through them because he has made you see the big picture. As you go out today, like I said at the beginning, I'm sorry, guys. There's a lot of things in this series that's just hard for us to say, yeah, I got to do that. Start on the heart. Get rid of the pride by saying, God... Get me out of the way so that I can hear what you need to say. Uh, what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see some more ways that Jesus reconditioned Peter to a new attitude, a new mind, new actions, whatever it may be. But keep this in mind. We're doing this not so we can make better people out of us. We're doing this so that we can see what it meant that Jesus suffered and died. And so we can see the impact of the new life we have in his resurrection. Let's pray. Dear Father, each one of us has a certain amount of pride in our hearts that wants to think that we can skirt the edge of danger and get away with it free. And for each of us, that danger is different. The lures are different. But ultimately, the results are the same. Everyone in this room, in big ways or in little ways, has fallen. We've messed up. We've sinned against heaven. We've sinned against people. We've, we've made mistakes. And none of them were necessary. If we had only listened to what you had taught us and shown us, things would have been different. So I thank you, Father, that you forgive me and you forgive all of us through what Jesus did. I thank you, Father, that Jesus was perfect for me. And now, Father, I ask for me and for all the people in this room that you would help us to, to get rid of the pride through Jesus' death. Let it be nailed to the cross and die. And Father, starting today, starting tomorrow, show us what we need to see. Let us see your view so that we can give glory to you. I pray, I pray all these things in Jesus' name as we join in the prayer he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.